Welcome to The Lisa Show. In the past 20 years, the frequency of family dinners has dropped by 33%. You're busy, your kids are busy, and there's just no time to sit down and have a meal together. But what's the big deal, right? Well, wrong. Family dinners are really essential in developing deeper uh, relationships with your family members. We're slowly realizing the scientific research is coming in about the benefits not only to our health, but our emotional health as well. And they can give us a lot of time to rest from our busy schedules as well. Because there are so many benefits, we really wanted to have a discussion about how we can get back to this and change that trend and make family dinners Go up on the rise. So here to discuss how we can have effective family meals is Catherine McCord, co-founder of a meal prep service called One Potato and founder of Weelicious. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, guys. So this trend of having family dinners less and less, why do you think that some people think that eating together isn't important? I don't know if they don't think it's as important as much as I feel like parents are just stretched. We are stretched for time. A lot of families have two working parents now. Um, And, you know, it's just there's other ways that I think parents sometimes, you know, allow their kids to, you know, have digital devices and uh, just, you know, there's just exhausted Mm. from the daily monotony. And so when people ask you, well, hey, what's the big deal? Why are family meals so important? What do you tell them? Family meals are essential. It's the time that we connect. We come together and we are able to ask our kids questions. They can ask us questions. We hear about each other's day. Um, And it's just that bonding time that in this crazy busy world we don't get as much of. Yeah, I love it. Um, You know, what's an an interesting thing is when I think about uh, sitting down, I, I don't think that I'm too far off when I say, oh, we got a lot of different ages or a lot of different interests, you know, sitting around this table. And so I'm always, I know this is a weird question, but I'm always looking for different things to talk to them or ask them about that are outside of the norm of how was your day? It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm trying to get creative. Yeah. What are some of the things that you either, the questions that you ask or the topics that you like to discuss at the family dinner table? That's a great question. So especially with younger kids, because I think when you have like a two, three, four year old, (laughs) it can be challenging and they really do want to share. So I think that keeping the questions very small, we play something called the machine game with my four year old, where we, you know, try to pick different machines, the guessing games to get them to open up and like really laugh and realize that dinner is a fun time. Um, We don't have to focus on like, why are you not eating this? Um, and then with you know with, with uh, you know with bigger kids, sometimes we'll pick a different topic. We'll look at the newspaper um, or ask them something specific that we know they're interested in. Because I think a lot of the time, you know, kids think, "Oh, meal time!" Like mom and dad are just going to yap, yap, yap. Um, but you know, if you ask them something that they're particularly interested in, that will get them going. Yeah, We talk about family dinner, and I think in our mind we picture that everyone's sitting around the table, and that's family dinner. Can family dinner be kind of expanded to be the time in prep and involving the entire family getting ready for dinner? I'll even add on that. I mean, I, our family, like we, I'm one, at least one of my three kids is doing something to prep during dinner, um, cutting, like I'll hand mm. a, a cutting board and a child safe knife, or will you sprinkle some salt or will you go grab a spice from the spice store? Just like that kind of connection, like where you said, it's, it's not as much pressure um, on a child, you know, sitting there and like, you know, your binoculars are looking right at them. Um, but I'll even take it a step further and just say that it doesn't have to be dinner time. It, there's, you can be breakfast. It can be lunch. It's really any time of the day. As long as you can try to, you know, find one meal that you're able to connect at, that's what's important. I love that. So uh, let's say that someone is like, I haven't done this for a while. I've meant to. You mean it rings really true? Listen, the need uh, in that yeah, sure. and and it, and it's one thing for you to be resolved in starting a new program. It's another thing to be a cheerleader and get everyone on board. Give us some tips for for planning your plan of attack. 
Well, I think it starts with the meal itself. So uh, once a week, I allow each of my um, family members to pick a meal that we're going to be eating during the week. So they get to be the designated person who gets part to choose, to have part of that choice. Um, and then you can, like, talk about it. Like, why did you pick this meal? Like, what, what's exciting? Why do you love it so much? Um, because then, it, you know, you get to really make someone be, you know, the standout for, for the day. Oh, I like that. Everybody gets to choose. Then it helps with that decision-making burnout. Yeah, because, you know, like getting everyone to the table, I feel like parents end up spending a lot of time with the menu, you know, like, oh, my God, what's for dinner? And it's mm-hmm. 530. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Everyone's so hungry. Yeah, if you menu plan or, you know, you have a meal delivery service, like a one potato, you know, so that you're, it takes the headache out of um, meal prep. And then you have more time to just like sit together and actually enjoy the meal. We're talking with Catherine McCord about bringing the whole family to the table, whether that's uh, for prepping the meal or enjoying the meal, uh, being able to spend that good time together. Is this something that in your past uh, was something that you experienced or found yourself missing? Well, you know, I, I think that it was more of the importance of it. I realized, hmm. you know, that part of the reason that I started Weelicious that from day one was like I wanted my kids to be great eaters. I wanted them to be adventurous eaters. Um, and, you know, mealtime for me, like 5 o'clock, I, you know, I grew up in the, in the in Kentucky and we had dinner five o'clock and like, I don't remember like tons of my childhood, but I can tell you, I remember that dinner time Mm -hmm. um, connection with my parents. And I think that parents are really busy and we're just running around and all the kids really want is their parents' time and attention. Uh, So I think it's important for parents to realize like this is the opportunity. This is it. Now, was it dinner or was it supper in Kentucky? (laughs) Well, we had Sunday supper, and then Monday to Friday, I would call dinner. Okay. So I, okay. I, I like that you, you, know, you nailed that <laughs> one. And, you know, and I think what's in, especially at this time, uh, a statistic just came out that before this, you know, this stay-at-home order, uh, people were, families were eating together four nights a week. They were cooking together four nights mm. a week, and now it's up to seven. Yeah. So, you know, this, this is like... You, you, there are 21 meals that you have to prepare as a parent. You might as well, you know, really make it exciting, make it fun, and look yeah. forward to it because it's not going away. Now, asking for a friend, let's say it is <laughs> her, her, five, her friend's name is Lisa. Five, and you're like, ooh, I meant to prep or plan, didn't do it. Everyone's hungry, but I want to to bring everybody together and I don't want to waste this moment. What are some quick idea meals that you, that you have? I mean, no shame in the game of breakfast for dinner. I'm a big fan of like whip up some eggs and omelet, uh, you know, some pancakes. There's n- Look, if it's a bowl of cereal with uh, some baby carrots on the side, just so you get, a, you know, a vegetable, <laughs> yeah. like, what, whatever it is, do not, parents should not stress themselves out that, you know, it needs to be perfection every night. I my mean, my all, friend I'm really a... appreciates that point. <laughs> <laughs> and I look, I mean, like a, like a pickup, a raised chicken, pop some baked potatoes in the oven. Like, I think that parents overlook single foods, um, you know, the quesadilla, cheese and uh, tortilla. Just, I think that if you can focus on trying to get a vegetable, a protein, and a carbohydrate, just those, you know, those three yeah. basics, then you really are winning the game. So so fun to uh, think about the different options that we can do when when not forced, but when we when we are, are urged to be creative. Right. We get to that point and we go, yeah, well, well, what can we do? It really can be a fun time, not only in the creation of the meals, but in the existence of sitting around the table with our families. I, I personally love it. Like, I, my husband and I, like, we love family dinner. And I think that our kids, you know, once you get into it and you make a commitment that you're going to do it um, for a few days, for a week, all of a sudden the pattern and the habit, um, it becomes something that you really will remember as a family. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you came up with the idea for one potato that helps busy families. But I'm, I'm interested in... You, 
and how why you feel so passionately about that and then how you went from it just being a passion to being able to share this idea with other people. Well, it really came, you know, from people asking me, you know, like, I love the Wheelicious recipes. Like, can't you just send it to my house? Um, and that <laughs> Make is, it for me. I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So what one potato does is everything is homemade. Everything's organic. Um, and no matter what size family you have, it's a base of two adults and then one, two, three, four kids. Um, so, and you pick the meal. So again, like letting your kids go into one potato and look at all the meals and be like, Ooh, yay. I want burger and baked fries, or I want taco Tuesday or whatever it is. Um, that, you know, that you're involving everyone in the process so that, you know, you put those food fights away and, you know, you're just sitting there and eating meals that take 12 to 20 minutes start to finish. Now, you said Taco Tuesday. I'm wondering, is it appropriate if you have done Taco Tuesday to also do Taco Wednesday and Taco Thursday? Well, just say like crunchy Taco Tuesday, soft Taco Wednesday. Oh, okay. We just vary Tostada that Tostada Thursday. Okay, okay, okay. I, that's like me. I mean, I could eat tacos I five nights a week. I would be so... Burgers and tacos are like my, you know, spaghetti and meatballs. I'm, I'm a, you know, I am a kid at heart. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say yeah. that. Yeah, your tastes are sophisticated like mine. <laughs> well, we actually, my son and I both love spicy food, so we have hot sauce contests. Oh, so wow. We, we, it's... <laughs> So much fun. I mean, we're always trying to like one up each other, but that's what I mean. Like make it, make it something silly and fun and see who can eat the most, you know, uh, green beans in a sitting, like how fast it's, it's just making it silly and fun because there's enough serious stuff going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I brought that up sort of as a joke, but also there's nothing wrong with eating the same thing for a couple of nights if you know you enjoy it and it's good for you. A hundred percent. That's why, like, again, it goes back to, like, letting your kids, like, do you want to have carrots or sugar snap peas? You're giving everybody two choices, keeping it limited. And one thing that I always do is I keep um, on my phone the 10 foods that my kids absolutely love, and Mm. I always keep them in the house. Mm. Because there are things that you can reinvent and turn into, you know, like you were saying, Taco Tuesday, like I always have quesadillas, or, um, tortillas to make quesadillas, burritos, tacos, you know, yeah. any, things that I know that they love, but that are also good for them because I can add in vegetables or chicken or whatever, whatever we want. Would Would you like a pretentious admission that I need to tell you about? Oh, no. Please. I wish I knew what he was going to say before he said it. (laughs) So so this same thing every night uh, here where we live, tomatoes are finally starting to come on. And and so uh, I've got a garden where the tomatoes are coming on. I also grow fresh basil. And Amazing. so I've been doing a caprese salad. <gasps> I know. Listen to how pretentious I sound. Oh, but that but, sounds so but good. honestly, every night, like it's just hot here. I don't want to do a bunch of stuff. We don't have kids in the home. It's just my wife and I. And I'm like, hey, how do you feel if we just had caprese again for dinner tonight? And she's she's on board. Yeah. And so well, who wouldn't I, be? I, I won't tell you how many nights in a row, but it's more than two and not less than ten oh, that wow. we have done caprese as a, at least a part or all of our dinner. Yum. Isn't that amazing? Like you're eating what you're growing too. And there's so much like that feels good about that entire, um, you know, 360 process. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that right now, like eat, if if it's good for your body, feel good. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, like just that's, that's what you want. That's what you need. And even for kids, like I always, like you were saying, like basil, like growing basil and then saying, what should we make of it? And like, we make pesto and then having that pesto and freezing it so you can pull it out weeks later and say, remember you made this? It's just like right now we want to empower ourselves um, all the way around. So I feel like since we're sharing, I have (laughs) the opposite problem. I have a bunch of teenagers in my house who are sick of what Dorito, I cook. Doritos, mom. Yeah. Can we just have Doritos? And so they're like, let's have hot Cheetos, which I think are <laughs> so gross. Or can we order pizza? Let's go to Taco Bell. Like they're, they're 
you know, tastes aren't ne- aren't very healthy. So I feel like I'm always trying to say, well, look at the the healthy version of this, which I don't know what the healthy version of. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for someone who's like me, who's just trying to get my kids to at least enjoy different kinds of foods more so it doesn't always seem like a fight? Yeah, no, I mean, so I think that it's important, like, within the meal planning that you absolutely have a night a week, uh, maybe two, but, you know, that you have, we are definitely going to get uh, takeout, something really naughty and wrong, mm-hmm. and, 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 and embrace that. Um, and then the other nights, asking them, you know, what, what give, give me, like, two healthy things that you like. Yeah. Or give me, you know, it's funny, that two choices it works great with three-year-olds, but funny enough, it also works really well with 16-year-olds. Mm. Um, so, you know, and still, you can make pizza at home. You can making, you know, those tacos um, that they love. And just kind of go rolling with it as much as possible uh, to, you know, make sure that they're getting their, you know, fill of the naughty foods, but also <laughs> eating, you know, like, even with my kids, you know, they yeah. have a smoothie for breakfast. Um, and then, you know, they'll, they'll have an Oreo now and then, too, and it's, it's all okay. I love it. Showing Great that, advice. Showing that I've uh, been listening to what you've said, Lisa, tomorrow mm-hmm. you can bring to the show chocolate chip cookies or brownies. That's two choices. <laughs> you get to bring either one of those, and I will eat whatever it is that you bring. Well, if you bring a caprese salad, then I think we've got a great buffet. I'll trade it straight across. Oh. We're eating good. Nice. <laughs> we know how to eat teamwork. on this show. Yeah, I love it. You're helping us, she, but yeah. She, as she pointed out, teamwork. <laughs> yep. Catherine McCord, the founder of Weelicious and co-founder of One Potato. It's a meal prep service for families. You can find her on all social media platforms at Weelicious and at One Potato. And you can find out more about One Potato at OnePotato.com. When you think of December, I don't know about you, but I immediately go to food. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Chris. I, I gotta put Christmas. on. I gotta on. put on my uh, my winter coat, as it yeah. were. <laughs> it's just a onesie, yeah. like no waistband at uh, all. It's just it's just a little extra pounds. <laughs> let's be honest. Christmas is hands down one of the tastiest seasons in the culinary calendar, and from the Christmas treats of fudge, cookies, wassail, I mean. The day of, which sometimes we do steak or ham, roast it, you know. A turkey. Some people do a turkey. Listen, I've I've done it all. I have never met a Christmas food I don't like. Yeah. Well, December is a month that's a delight for the senses, but mostly the taste buds. And if you're serious about your Christmas fare, as we are, you're in luck because we've invited a professional on the day today to talk about all things Christmas food and about her own special Christmas tradition. Here to talk is cookbook author. She has authored 38 cookbooks, Richie. That, that, that seems like a lot yeah. of food. And author of the New York Times cooking column, A Good Appetite, Melissa Clark. Welcome, Melissa. Um, it's so great to be here. Okay, so what are your favorite Christmas flavors? Oh, flavors. Yeah, oh, let's gosh. get it you know, started. I, I'm a, I mean, I'm a big sweet tooth. I just love all the sweets. Mm-hmm. To me, Christmas is like spices. It's cinnamon. Ooh, it's yeah. cloves and nutmeg, right? It's like ground almonds. It's um, brandy, you know, when you set when you set a Christmas pudding on fire. It's um, <laughs> all kinds of what else is there? Um, butter, butter. I'd yeah, butter. probably the number one Christmas flavor for me would be butter. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like where this is headed. You you just go and you just buy what you know, like twelve packages of butter. That just would be, have them that, in the fridge. So, so ready. for context, hey, have you looked in my fridge? You know that's exactly yeah, what's there. Exactly. <laughs> that is that is twelve pounds of butter. I just want to throw that out there. We're buying butter by the pound. Well, okay, so Christmas is about sharing. So, exactly. You know, cookies as well. See, so. see give, she's giving out pounds of butter, which is pounds of happiness. <laughs> 
So there are cooks out there, and every year it's kind of the same thing. You want that mixture of tradition and the familiar, but a little something new. So for those who are, first of all, looking to spice up their typical December tradition, what do you recommend? Well, you know, one of the things that I love to do, which maybe isn't everybody's thing, Mm -hmm. we do a special Christmas Eve dinner. Mm. And it's um, Feast of the Seven Fishes. This is um, a traditional Italian way to celebrate Christmas Eve. Um, And it's so great because the challenge is how do you get seven different kinds of fish on the table for one night? And that's been a real challenge. And we love to play this game. We're like, okay, what are the seven fishes this year? (laughs) Um, And so it's always fun. So that's like if you haven't done that before, you can take on this new challenge. You know, you don't have to get traditionally you would do like seven different dishes. Mm -hmm. But you can I, I cheat a little bit and I mix together some of the fish because Doing seven different dishes on Christmas Eve is a yeah, that's a lot of work. Christmas morning, <laughs> the next day, and so. Um, but it's it's a fun, you know, if you love seafood, it's actually a really fun thing to do. And here's my cheat. Okay. Um, and okay, anchovies and oh, yeah. um, salmon roe, salmon caviar, because those can be garnishes. Like anchovies, you can kind of slip in here and there, and then salmon caviar. It's not expensive. It's bright red. It looks like. Christmas ornaments oh, on a plate. Sure. They're like bright red little beads. And you can get it pretty easily. Um, and it's just fun. You can sprinkle the beads everywhere, and it looks like a party on your oh, table. How fun. You know, we do the seven fishes, too, Melissa. Uh, and I'll give you a little hack to help you out, too, if you're if you're really trying to get the, the seven fishes in. First, yeah. first, first hack, Pepperidge Farm goldfish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's one. That's, that's for, one. And he put it at the kids' table. Yeah, yeah, that's love there. It, love it. Eat them by. Love go- goldfish crackers, they're the best. Yeah, eat them by the handful. <laughs> and then, second, you don't want to do the full plated dessert. Swedish fish. Oh, I'm just throwing go. that out there. Love, We've love, already love. figured out four of there seven. Go. Right. There we go. We're almost done. We're almost done. A little salmon and you're finished. <laughs> well, that's definitely a spice up. For those who are like novices, though, and they're like, I don't know if I can take on something that grand. What do you suggest? Yep. Yep. Okay. So um, I would, so, you know, it depends. You have to think about, you know, the thing about Christmas is it's not just one meal, you know, yeah. like Thanksgiving, it's one meal. Christmas is like days long, right? So you want to try to add in fun things at different, you know, sort of different parts of the celebration. So you've got, for us, it's like, it's Christmas Eve, you know, we have our seven fishes thing, but then it's Christmas morning, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do, what do you do Christmas morning? We love to do, we, you know, I think Lisa, you mentioned waffles. We love waffles for Christmas morning. Ooh, and yeah. every year we try to figure out some fun, different ways to make waffles. So, okay, I have a couple of tricks for people who oh, love waffles as much as we do. So first of all, um, if you, if Think about possibly buying a second waffle iron. This is something which, you know, my mom, I remember my mom making waffles and it was like, and even when we do it, it takes forever, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. pour the waffles in yeah. and then you wait and then you pour it in and you mm-hmm. wait. So someone gave my daughter one of these adorable little like mini waffle irons. It's uh-huh. like the size, it's like a little, it's the size of a saucer. And so I have her work in that one and I'm working the other one. But then it's like, you know, if you have a second, if you have space, and you and this is like a good thing to get mm-hmm. a second waffle iron, or they have the kind that have. Um, I think there's one brand. I forget which one it is. They do two. You can do um, it stacks it on top of each other, so you can do two oh. batches of waffles at the same time. Mm. Oh, so I need that. Especially, yeah. If you're feeding a lot of people, consider the second waffle iron. Um, and if you can't do that, that's fine. Um, definitely put your oven on 250. You know, and we like to do this. As you cook the waffles, put them on a um, on a rack, not on a sheet pan, not on a cookie mm-hmm. sheet, but on a rack on a tray so they stay crispy. Mm-hmm. And then put them in the oven, and then that way they stay warm. They actually get even a little more crisp. Oh, than, that's know, a great nice. idea. Yeah. So, And then instead of serving them all at once, you know, it, this way we all sit down at the table at the same time, which is much nicer. Yeah. Um, other things for waffles, it's not just, you know, I mean, I know you've got your all your toppings, um, some of our favorite toppings. I take maple syrup and I spice it up. I was oh. talking about how much I love spices, yeah. right? This is the easiest thing. Take your maple syrup, you put it on the stove, mm-hmm. you simmer it with a few slices of fresh ginger, a cinnamon stick, some cloves, 
And as you're cooking it, it takes five minutes. The maple syrup takes on the flavors of the spices, and it also cooks down and gets a little bit richer. It's fabulous, and it's oh, so easy. And then you can idea. throw the butter right in the pan, too, and you've got this buttery maple syrupy deliciousness. And you oh, pour my that God. Right on top. oh, that. And then it <laughs> so just makes your house smell so good, too. Exactly. If you're, exactly. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Melissa Clark about uh, delicious foods of Christmas. Another pro tip. Uh, this is for those novices out there. You'd think that a panini machine or that a George Foreman grill could also make waffles. It can't. It's not made. <laughs> they are not constructed to do that. The principles do are the, the same. Sides. Yeah. Do the bacon the, or the hash yeah, browns the, listen, there. Don't the principle do <laughs> of the machine is the same, but execution not well. Did not go well. Oh, shoot. Now, let me ask you. Because you, you queued this up at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Cookies. The cookies oh, yeah, the that you share. Now, yeah. I now I need to know, are you doing like your traditional sugar cookie? Or are you br- busting out a different holiday-type cookie? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Actually, this is something that I covered in the Times this year um, in a really big way. Because I think a lot of us um, are not getting to see our loved ones necessarily. Yeah. You know, people aren't traveling as much this year. So I think the best thing you can do is send them cookies. So I have a lot of tips on how to do that, um, packing a cookie box. Um, and I change, so I'm a big, I love cookies. I'm a big cookie fanatic. I change up my cookies every year. I'm, I always do gingerbread. Gingerbread, you know, cut out gingerbread mm-hmm. cookies because they're sturdy. You can ship them really easily. I have some fun decorating ideas. Um, if you want to go to um, NYT Cooking, New York Times slash cooking, you'll get a bunch of ideas. Oh, great. But some really simple things to do is, Take Okay, and this is just so simple. When you make your gingerbread cookies, take two of them and sandwich them together with just some jam inside. It's just Ooh, like a yeah. little surprise for people. And also, added bonus, it makes it sturdier for shipping because when you have the two cookies cushioned by that little layer of jam there, it's going to be, when you put them in a box, they're not going to break apart as much. And then you can decorate the top cookie, and then, you know, the bottom one is just there kind of for for sturdiness but it's and then when you bite it you've got the jam so that is a good new cookie recipe idea for people um brownies are fantastic try when you do brownies think about the toppings you know because you can make a brownie as festive as a gingerbread cookie by just chopping up some candy canes and you Mm. you throw those on the top before you bake them nut coconut um m&m's yeah. That really makes a big, and the, you know, just your favorite brownie recipe. And those are great for shipping. I mean, they're great for just giving people too. But I you know I'm thinking shipping just because we want to spread the love as far as we can. Um, other great sturdy cookies. Um, if you've ever done, um, sometimes they're called butter balls or um, uh, Mexican wedding cookies. Ooh, yeah. They have a bunch of different names. Or Greek cookies. They're ground nuts and you form them into snowballs. Form them into um, little surf, you know, little dough balls, and then you bake them, and then toss them in confectioner sugar. Those are great for shipping, and they look like little snowballs, and they're adorable. Mm. Oh, I love that! Oh, I'm mm. getting so hungry. You, know, they, you had me a candy cane, and then you <laughs> no. just kept going. I know. You should see our faces. We're like, uh huh. What else can uh-huh. we make? Ooh, I love that. Um, it, how important, or how much do you include tradition with with your food? Like, like, do, like, do you do the I, same things or do you like to mix it up? We love to mix it up. I mean, we have a few things that you, we just have to do. Like, it won't be like we have to do our gingerbread cookies. Like, right. That's, the yeah, big that, thing. that's house, your thing. That's our thing. And we love to we have our cookie cutter collection is actually kind of insane. It takes up two cabinets. It's like <laughs> we, we went gosh. a little. I mean, the cabinets are small, <laughs> but we went a little crazy with the cookie cutters. So that's funny. It's really fun to, and then, you know, my daughter gets involved. So that's super fun. That's a tradition. And we start that, you know, we start that like really, you know, we've already practically started it. You know, we start right at the beginning of December to think about it all. Butter in the fridge, get the cookies dough made, and then we'll keep making them as the, as the month goes by. It's really nice to have the, for, I think that for the entire month of December, your kitchen should be coated in a thin layer of sugar mm-hmm. and butter. Like yeah, this, I agree. This is just the, <laughs> Um, and then we love waffles. We really do um, on Christmas morning. That's a special thing. Um, although sometimes we will change that up and we'll do French mm. toast. We do a mm. baked French toast casserole with um, a creme brulee topping. Oh, so, of course you do. Oh, of that sounds do. amazing. I mean, it's just like the sweeter the better. It's 
and it's so festive that it's our, you know, we don't make that except on Christmas morning because really you don't really want to eat that more than once a year, but it's so good. So those are our things. uh, yeah. Expanding the conversation out a little bit, are there other holiday traditions? I mean, we know there's Hanukkah around this time of year. Uh, other things maybe from different cultures that we should be bringing into our kitchen. Yeah, well, we do Hanukkah too. Um, we we do it all, but we do Hanukkah. Um, I um, am a big latke. I have mm-hmm. perfected my latkes. I am a, oh, like, a big latke aficionado. Mm. Yes. Now, for people and, who don't know, we probably need to let people know what a latke is. It is a fried potato pancake. It is crispy, and it is, you know, it's, it's just potatoes with a little bit of onion. It's um, crispy on the outside. It's soft in the middle. And you uh, traditional Hanukkah toppings would be, or traditional toppings for a latke, sour cream and applesauce. Um but you can also, you know, change that up and put, I mean, really, you can put anything on top of a latke and it's going to taste good because it's a fried potato cake. Yeah, right? you yeah. You cannot go wrong. Um, but the secret, I have a secret for making them extra crispy, and yeah. that is squeeze out those potatoes. So oh. you, know, you grate, I, and I grate them in a food processor. I don't, you know, some people say, oh, you've got to grate a latke by hand, but uh-huh. I don't do that. I grate them in a food processor, and then I put them in a colander okay. with a, dish, you know, a clean dishcloth lining the colander, and I just squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And, you, you know, you'd be amazed at how much oh. liquid comes out of those potatoes. But the drier the potatoes are when you hit them in, in when you put them in the pan, the crispier they're going to get. So that is my big um, latke trick for everybody. And it works, obviously, you know, anytime you're frying potatoes, either say that you're making like hash browns, it's going to work too. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're using grated fried potatoes, just give it a good squeeze and you're going to notice a huge difference. Oh, yeah, And I'm also the same delicious. way too. If yeah. You- you, you give me a good squeeze, you'll notice the difference. And he's crispier. You know, I want to take uh, the remaining minute that we have left with you and uh, and talk about maybe drinks of the uh, of the holiday season. Now we here we're teetotalers, so we don't yep. uh, we don't imbibe. But I am curious, what are those tastes as far as beverages for the holidays? Well, I mean, you know, I think that um, hot spiced apple cider is mm. going to be your thing, right? I mean, again with the spices, just. Christmas to me is all about spices. So I love to, what I like to do for an apple cider, because apple cider, when you spice it, sometimes it's a little on the sweet side. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my secret is I always like to add, um, I do a citrus cider. Mm. So you take your apple cider, you heat it up in a pan, you add a big coil of lemon zest and a coil of, you know, you just take a vegetable peeler, get yeah. the zest off in one big coil, lemon zest. An orange zest, a squeeze of orange juice, a squeeze of lemon juice, and then you put your spices in. And that just brightens up the flavors. It makes it a little less sweet and just a little more interesting. Oh, what a great tip. Mm. Uh, We've been visiting with Melissa Clark, who writes for the New York Times cooking column, A Good Appetite. Uh, Melissa, before we let you go, there, there is just one very important thing that we need to tell you. Our address is yeah. 700 East <laughs> University Parkway, Provo, Utah. We want we're a I I will be the judge of how those cookies ship, and if that jam is a little bit yeah, of a little delicacy in the middle. Bread. Listen. Listen, sandwich cookies. Uh, yeah. you can, right, you, okay. You can tell me all day, but until I taste it, I won't possibly know. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy holidays, you, you guys. You too. Welcome back to the Lisa Valentine Clark Show. We are lucky enough to be talking to Connie Sokol, who's a national speaker and author, uh, mother of seven. She's the founder of the Balance Redefined program that teaches women how to live purposeful and organized, joyful lives. It seems to me, Connie, thank you for returning, <laughs> that uh, this all hinges on habits and establishing the very, very best habits. So having studied this, having having implemented this in your life, are, have you identified? 
identified specific habits that are the most effective for bringing about the best life? Oh, there are so many. There are so many. And what's joyful is we can choose from them. We don't have to use them as sticks to beat ourselves with. Of like, I should be doing all these habits. So, so you haven't identified some that like maybe you're, if everyone would do these, it would lead to. Actually, I did. I actually went through because there were women going through my program. Like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years. And they said, I want it faster, quicker, and even, <laughs> even more happy for me to do because I got a whole lot going on. That's so hilarious. I actually created a six-week program of just six core habits that people can do. And if they'll implement, they'll start seeing change right away. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things I have them do is identify the click. And the click is we we know we should do things and then we feel driven to do things. Mm -hmm. And it's letting go of the shoulds and being able to go, what are the things I feel driven to do? Because we can actually trust ourselves that we're good people and we want to do good things and we want to do good for others and for ourselves and for our families. So what are the things that we feel driven to do? Well, when we get to the core, we really want to be healthy. We really want to have happy relationships. We really want to be organized in our time and our energy, right? So how do we get there? So this click... It's, it's getting that awareness that I talked about before. It's really getting in tune with who you are. We're so busy. We're just, I call it pinball living. Mm -hmm. We start the shoot in the mm -hmm. morning with the ball and we go pa-ching. And then it's, you know, get up and the dog and orthodontist take, get kids to school and then go to the business meeting and get your, like for me, coaching and doing a program and then dad and TV and blah, blah, blah. And then it goes down and drops in the hole. And we just don't feel fulfilled at the end of the day. We've got a whole lot done maybe, but we're just spinning on the wheel. So the click is getting back in tune with what you truly want and what you're actually to do. What's your contribution in this world? And I promise you, when you get to those core pieces, like I said, everything shifts. So this click is is paying attention. One of my friends, Jana Parkin, she talks mm -hmm. about post-it notes from God. And again, whatever your belief systems are, there's these beautiful universe post-it notes that you get that you're trying to, they're trying to give you messages and, and you're not paying attention. So when you start paying attention, it's a beautiful thing. One day, um, I was going through probably one of the most difficult experiences of my life. And you know, you still got to function, yeah. whether you own a business, you're yeah, a woman, your wife, matter. or mother, keep you going. still alive, keep going, right? And my daughter was going to prom and so we had to go get a prom dress. And I was just at the end of this sort of 25 year, just wow, I just low rock bottom. And I was just actually praying for some help. And you know how you do, you ponder, you ask, you, you, you look for, read self-help books, all those things. I do it. I teach it. And we were done getting her dress. We were going out of the store and I saw this dress on the left. It all begins with a good dress. But I saw this dress <laughs> and it was this white, black, hot pink Calvin Klein number that was just, I looked at it and I said, that's a speaking dress. And something shifted in my soul. And that's what I mean by awareness. Because when you pay attention, then you start being in flow. And when you're in flow, you're not fragmented, you're not fractured. There's a thing called goal friction. When you make goals or you're living your life in a way that doesn't align with what your soul knows you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And I knew it. And I had this feeling thought of that, I'm going to speak on stage wearing that dress. And at the time I had kind of pulled back from a lot of that. And everything just started to shift from there. And I went back to that store and could not find that dress until this one lady found it in a totally different rack, one size. It was three size smaller. I said, okay, I'm saying a prayer and let's go in there. And I went in, tried it on, and it fit like a glove. And I said, that's what I'm wearing. And then two months later, I was wearing it on stage. That's the click. That's what takes you from, I want something different. I really want to live different. I want to try a new habit. That's when you are listening to your soul. And when you start with that first step, then everything else starts to go in line. Then you'll start reaching out for people or books or whatever programs that will help you actually achieve the thing you want. And then boom, you're going to see changes just go boom, 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 boom. I am inspired by that story, and I feel like that there's a lot of information to un unpack about it. That dress represented more than a dress, obviously. Exactly. It represented an idea. Um, how can we make ourselves more open to this kind of idea, no matter how long it takes? I love that question. It's starting again with the drip. So instead of what I find with when I'm working, especially with women, men team seem to be a little bit more able to shut things off and say, I can, I can't, whatever. I can put this much time, I don't. Women 
what that I work with tend to feel this more guilt, more I'm less than, why didn't I, wasn't I able to do that? And they'll start with something and then if they don't successfully complete it, then they feel like they're they're bad or they did it wrong or they're a failure. Right. And so that keeps them from actually moving forward and actually being five steps from them actually starting a successful habit. So if, if you're in a space where where you're like, wow, I want to get to that click, but it's overwhelming to me to think if I've got six months or a year before I'm actually going to make a change, it actually happens quicker than that. Go back mm. to my experience with changing the 16-year habit of the way that I'm driving. That's why the click is so important. When you pay attention to that feeling thought, whether it's I'm going to actually go back to school, whether it's I need to set better boundaries in the way I'm being treated, when you pay attention to that click, the click is the driver that's going to give you the energy to sustain whatever Mm -hmm. change you're trying to make. That's why it's so important to get an accountability partner. Get a coach, get an accountability partner, and I'm not joking, for years, I'm a self-starter. I mean, I'm the type that I get up at four in the morning if I need to and I will do whatever needs needs to be done, right? right? Okay, but not after I've had a lot of children. I'm just saying. But I am <laughs> right. that type, right? But not everybody's like that. And I got that. But what I have learned is that if if you will work with your personality and you will just take that one drip and start with that one piece, whatever mm-hmm. piece that is, and then you nurture it just like a plant. You'll nurture that with an accountability piece or a coach. I didn't need coaches forever. And then I needed, I got to a place where I wanted to share this on a bigger scale and I could feel I don't have the capability to do this, which is the first thing to say is, is allow yourself to go, I can't do this by myself. And here's the biggest fallacy that especially women have, but men do too, that they have to do it by themselves. We don't. We're wired to do it together. And it's the two plus two equals 2042. When we combine with somebody else who has been down the path, a mentor that knows how to go about this and do life hacks and do it quicker, faster, better, you will experience quicker, faster change. And that change is what will make you want to do more change. It's the actual creating the change that sustains that change. So when you involve somebody else who actually knows how to do that quicker, faster, better, you're going to feel that joy and the purpose and organize your life to make that happen. What do you look for in an accountability partner? You want to find someone who's, okay, you know the person that says, wow, you look so great today, and you know that you just got a buzz haircut that you did not ask for? Okay, not that is that not person. that person. <laughs> not that person. Then there's the other person that as soon as you open your mouth, they're like, that's wrong. You need to change that. That's not that person either. Mm-hmm. You want someone who is going to, like I said, has walked the path. There's a lot of well-intentioned friends. I have a lot of women who come to me and say, yeah, I've been trying to make this change, and I have a walking partner, and we talk, and we like help each other with our goals. And I'm like, how's that working for you? She's like, well, it's not really happening. I don't really you – know, exactly. Yeah. You've got to be with someone, whatever that is. There's Facebook groups. There's professional groups. There's lots of ways you can get that information, but you've got to have someone who can tell you – I call it kind candor. They tell you what you need to hear and they give you the information you need to know. And then you make that choice because it's all got to come down to you making that choice. Otherwise, you're going to push back and it doesn't matter how great a program is. It doesn't matter how great an accountability partner is. You're going to push back because your soul's saying, "Mm -mm, I don't want to. We uh, we're speaking with Connie Sokol about life habits, uh, about accountability. And uh, okay, so I found my click. I have a great accountability partner, but life still seems to beat me over the head sometimes. And even though I found some success, like I'll get discouraged or I'll have those hard times. Speak to what we can do in those instances. That's your support network. And everybody needs one. So whether it's that Facebook group, whether it's a group that you've created in your neighborhood, or whether it's a program group, or whatever it is that you're doing, you need that support. So people speak the same language, Mm -hmm. and they understand that same point in the road that you're at, that same switch point. I call them a switch point because you'll come to these places. And when you have someone that can tell you, I've come to this place, you're like, ah, you're actually on this vortex, the edge of this vortex of either you're going to go upward and can continue to do your habit, which now cements and becomes a part of your life, or you're going to go down. And Mm -hmm. then if you have to go five steps back, it's super unlikely that you're going to start back up again. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of at this fork in the road where at this switch point that you have to get really good, helpful, precise information. And it's almost like a surgeon. They can make a precise incision. And if they make that, they can get in, they can get out, right? But if they're all over the place and it's ripping and it's tearing, it's a mess. And then you're healing and it takes a long time. So you want precise wisdom and information and mentoring. That's what I've seen. So whoever that is for you, when you get that and you'll know it because you'll feel it in your soul. And that's what I find with women that I work with. And that's what I look for is they feel it. I feel it. And then we can flow so fast. They're making changes so quickly. And it's small things. Like one lady, she has a special needs child and she's like, 
I want to write this book. I want to organize my home. I want to, she had like 10 things she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you can do all of those, but we have to do it in sequence, right? And then we have to do these habits that I teach and then these different things. You have to do them in this right order that's going to make it the most effective because you don't have a lot of time. I have an Asperger son. I know exactly what that's like. You don't have a lot of time and energy. So for example, with her writing, she said, okay, I've been working on this book. And I said, okay, just start writing. And she started doing 15 minutes a day. Well, 15 minutes is totally doable. Mm -hmm. And then she started doing, she worked, she's now on her third draft of her book and she's actually doing a program that's helping her write and she's going to market and publish. So here she took something. She's like, I'm going to have to put that in a drawer. It's not my season. She's actually making it happen. And guess what that's producing? Joy. So when you're working with a special needs child, if anybody out there is doing that, you know how drained you get and how quickly, because it's just, it's every day. So when you have that piece of joy, when you know that's part of your purpose, boom, you've got energy, you've got desire. You find yourself organizing your home because now you've got that piece that's taken care of. So you talk a lot about the habits and and that leads you to the joy, but what about that that space, the interim in between, where you're trying to establish the habits in in organization or purpose to find that joy? As people are trying to to implement those habits and 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 basically just going through the motions, how do they hang on? How do they how do they keep going um, if they're not feeling the joy? If they're not feeling it. And yeah. isn't that most every day, right? Yeah. We're we're in spaces where they're not. You're like, I know it's coming. <laughs> I'm going to feel joy. I'm going to get that first draft done. But, you that's know, right. today's not that day. That's right. What do you tell yourself? Well, and that's that comes up often because we kind of feel like we have to white knuckle. I feel joy. I feel joy. I feel joy, right? <laughs> do I, I, I feel it? Am I feeling it now? Somebody tell me. That's right. Does it look that's on right. my face? Can you see the joy? Exactly. And one tip that I love for that is is abundance of mindset and mentality. And so you have abundance meditations that you do and you can create yourself. There's a great book called The Big Leap. Are you familiar with that? If anyone out there is familiar with it, it's Gay Hendricks. It's fantastic. He talks about um, different zones. We start with zone of incompetence, zone of competence, if I have this right, I'm paraphrasing, then zone of excellence. And that's where we all kind of end up. It's a zone of excellence. We can kind of do what we do in our sleep. And then there's zone of genius. And then to go from zone of excellence to zone of genius is we just, it's the law of the crabs. We're pulling ourselves back down in the bucket. We're finding all these reasons why we're not going to move forward. So you'll start moving forward all happy place, you know, and I call it the two-week bomb. Mm -hmm. You'll start out for two weeks. You're good. And then in two weeks, you're sucking down a cheesecake because you're like, (laughs) I cannot sustain this, right? So it's a two-week bomb. But what he says is that's also called an upper limit problem. So if you will keep doing the drips that you identify, which one of those is an affirmation or a meditation, then it will help move you through that space to keep moving up to that upper level. Mm. So one meditation that he does, I mean, I didn't know much about meditation up until a few years ago, and I love it, love it. But it's more than just saying 10, you know, a sentence to yourself 10 times a day. It has to have emotion behind it. It has to have a driver and it has to have a feeling like I actually call it meditation movies because I actually watch a movie in my mind of my ideal self, my ideal life, what I want for my children that we've talked about that we all have the buy-in of what they want. I have these meditation movies that I just, when I wake up in the morning and before I go to sleep, and that is a really easy, simple, low effort seeming thing that you can do to keep staying on track. If there's nothing else that you do in that day, maybe you didn't work out, maybe you lost your temper with your kids, whatever it was, maybe you didn't come through on that presentation at your at your job, but maybe when you go to bed at night, you still hold on to that meditation or affirmation. I promise you, you will see changes. Mm-hmm. He gives a great one. He says, I expand in abundance, success, and love every day is I inspire others to do the same. And he says, if you will say that several times in the morning, the evening, they've studied this for, I think it's been almost 20 years, the effects of this, and this has been the most Mm -hmm. successful one. If you will do that repeatedly, you'll start to open. And that's what it is. We all have these popcorn seeds inside us and you'll start popping those seeds and then boom, you're on your way. So it's a beautiful thing, small, simple, to bridge that gap of the do. Uh, do you ever have down days where you're just like, <laughs> you know, I think it- I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling joy. I mean, I know what my purpose is. I've had a click. I, I teach people this all the time. I model it and I live it. 
when you feel down, what do you do? Oh, so I have cocoa clusters from Costco. <laughs> I was going to say that are my cheesecake, go-to. cheeseburgers, I'm cocoa serious. clusters. Okay. And I've actually trained myself to have a little bit healthier ones. But I mean, there's, you know, we have a bakery place around here that's like, that's my spot. I'm going. But aside from that, I mean, it, it really is about acknowledging I'm having one of those days. I'm yeah. in a rumble. I'm in a shift. And stop feeling guilty for that. That's part of the package deal. The thing is, we just don't want to stay there, right? You want to get out of that cycle right. as quickly as possible because then that becomes a habit. Acknowledge it. Exactly. So if you acknowledge it and then you do one action, take one step. So I just actually went through this last week. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for 20 years. And people go, oh, you're so on it. And you must just know exactly what you're doing. No, I don't. Obviously. So last week I had another dip, another switch point because it's never stopping. I, this is what mm. I teach to women in the program. I teach one about becoming an influential writer, speaker, and media personality. Okay. So they're like, oh, but I just, I don't know how I'm going to do this speech and I don't know how I'm going to write this thing. And I'm like, get used to this. Embrace it yeah. Yeah. because you're going to keep up leveling your whole time. So right now it's maybe speaking for the chamber, but soon it's going to be speaking for this conference. And then it's going to be speaking on the same, st- same stage as Brene Brown. You're going to have those same feelings all the way along, right? So get used to how you deal with it. So last week I'm having a rumble and it's shocking me. I wasn't expecting it, but this rumble comes up of, am I even doing what I need to be doing? And am I doing it even in the right way to do it? And then you start second guessing. And that's the worst. You get to the second guess, you get to the self-doubt, you get to all of those fears, all of those things. And I was just like, what do I do? And literally, I have this morning thing. I just refuse to do it. I just would not do it. Like I'll I'm, show you. That's right. I'll show my higher self. And it's just ridiculous. I even know better. And I'm watching myself do this. And I'm thinking, what the hey? What are you doing? But I I had to rumble through it. But because I've done habits, I can rumble through it a little quicker, mm-hmm. but still had to go through all the stages. It's like the five stages of grief, right? I had to go through all the stages, went through a little bit quicker, and then boom, I looked for a thing called assurances. If you look for assurances, you'll feel those signposts, those post-it notes mm-hmm. again that say, yeah, you're on the right track. And I got a thank you card in the mail from this woman who had done the program that was like, you've set me on such a good path. And then I got a text from a woman that was lengthy and was pretty miraculous in what she was sharing. And it gave me this assurance that I specifically was doing, yes, my purpose, what I needed to do and the way I needed to do it. And then I was okay. And I could put the cocoa clusters away (laughs) and all was well. So expect it, anticipate that that's going to come, but that's where you get your little tool belt and you go back to those drips, those habits, those things, you know, work and start with the one I will say, start where you have success, start with the one that resonates the most and you'll get back on your path. You've given us uh, so much to think about. <laughs> not, uh, not a fire hose at all. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no big deal. You're going to take a nap now. Uh, Connie Sokol is a national speaker, a best-selling author, a media personality, and a mother of seven. The founder of Balance Redefined Programs that teach women to live more purposeful, uh, organized, and joyful lives. If you want to see her TV segments, read her blog, or listen to her podcasts and more, you can go to ConnieSokol.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Thanks. Enjoy. Thanks.